The reading is taken from Mark. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come, stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? This is the day to save life or to destroy it. But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the twelve he chose. Simon, who he named Peter. James and John, son of Zebedee. But Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Good morning. Thank you, Maddie. Um, it's so good to see so many of you here in person again, um, and it's good to welcome those who are joining online as well. But for those who are here today, we're actually having tea and coffee again after the service. So um, I know it's very exciting. I heard a ooh, and I think it was from Ben. <laughs> um, so it is very good news. But I don't know if you've considered this, but we're all a little bit rusty at small talk. Or I am, anyway. I was at a party the other day, and actually, Felucia was there with me. Not to embarrass you, Felucia, but both of us sat in the corner, and suddenly I just thought, I have no idea how to talk to people anymore. And um, it was, it, there were loads of people we didn't know. So I was, I was pleased when I got there and thought, oh, Felucia's here, this is good. And we sat in a corner, and I looked at her, and I went, I don't know how to talk to people anymore that I don't know. <laughs> So you're going to have that battle over tea and coffee, maybe even talking to people you do know. But I've got a suggestion for you, so don't worry. You can thank me later. And it's a favorite topic of my husband in particular, but I think many people like this topic, and it's your favorite film. It's talking about films. People love films, don't they? Tay's looking at me like, not really. <laughs> I mean, it's fair enough, Tay. I'm not a big film person. Um, but a lot of people love them. So I thought I'd tell you a little bit about one of my favorite films. So it's 20 years old, so if you haven't seen it, I don't feel too bad for giving spoilers. Um, but I, I will just give you a little heads up. So it's called A Beautiful Mind. Now, how many people have seen it? Oh, Nick, straight up. We've, yeah, we've got a few. Who's going to go and watch it because I've said it's great? Ah, look, you guys, that's nice. Um, so... 
and you'll see why it's one of my favorite films. It's because it follows the story of a mathematician. And this guy is brilliant, John Nash. And he is, he's an American, and he gets a, a place at Princeton to go and study maths because he's just got this brilliant mind. You might say a beautiful mind, in fact. Um, and so he goes off to study, and it turns out that he is just brilliant. He's, he's got so much mathematical insight, and it's just natural to him. He just knows, and it's incredible. And he gets this um, job. He gets a job in the, in the Secret Service. He's kind of called up. He's... He's called up and asked to be part of this mission, if you like. And so what he does is he um, seems to do lots of very complex maths, much more complex than I could do, and he goes to this letterbox and he keeps posting these strange mathematical formulas into this letterbox, and you never really see who he's communicating with. So it's kind of weird, but you're like, wow, this is really cool. Like This is proper secret service stuff. This is great. And then... Halfway through the film, maybe more, you suddenly realize that he's actually been having delusions. And he's made all of these friends at university, and halfway through the film, it turns out they're not real people. He's been suffering with a mental health problem. I know, Suze. And he's, he's not been working for the Secret Service. It's a delusion. And it's really sad. But it's this huge plot twist that happens and what does happen is that he's put on medication for this problem. The people that he was seeing go away. Um, but actually, he loses his mathematical brilliance in that as well. And I would never, ever, ever recommend this. But in that film, he stops taking his medication just so he can have his mathematical brilliance back. But I would never, ever recommend that. But the point is that there is this huge plot twist in this film. It goes in a really unexpected direction, really suddenly. It's like you know everything that's happening and it seems really cool and suddenly this thing happens and it's like, <gasps> oh my goodness, that is not what I expected. And I think that happens to us a lot in life. Things come along and they're so unexpected and it just suddenly changes the direction of everything. Everything in life suddenly feels like, oh my goodness, what do we do now? And I told you a little bit about my story two weeks ago, so I'm not going to regale you with that again. But, you know, it happened for me, that plot twist. I was an accountant, and then suddenly here I am. But these plot twists happen. Some of them are great, and some of them are awful. And, you know, at, when you're watching a film, you get to the end of the film, and you look back, and you go, oh, that, made, that makes sense now. That whole story makes sense, and it was, it was good. But, you know, in life, maybe it will make sense when we get to the end, but as we're living it, you just think, what is going on? It's really difficult at times. And there are so many different things that can come along. And some of them, like I said, really good. You know, the birth of a much-wanted child, an incredibly good and positive change, something longed for, but still dramatically changes your life. Maybe falling in love, even. Meeting that special person. And getting married, Megan and John, I spy you. But they're dramatic kind of plot twists to life. You just go, whoo! Didn't expect that. And then there's awful things as well, of course. Somebody dying, maybe. That can be a really awful plot twist. Maybe losing a job, being made redundant. And suddenly you've lost that thing. And then you, you've lost your security in it and your financial situation changes. And that's really difficult. Maybe illnesses. They come along 
unexpectedly and change everything. And especially in the last 18 months, of course, the coronavirus changed everything. It was this huge plot twist that none of us saw coming and it changed everything and it's been really difficult. And I think sometimes in life it just feels like everything is working against us. It feels like, oh my goodness, this, what is this? And I've heard people say like it's just one thing after another and a lot of people recently have gone, it's just another thing. I don't know how much more of this I can handle. So, if you feel like sometimes everything is plotting against you, if you feel like out of control sometimes and like where on earth is God in this? My life is just out of control. Then I think this reading actually has something to say to us. And I've got three points to make from it. So stick with me. The first part of our reading described Jesus in the synagogue and he was in there on a Sabbath, of course, when you can't much on a Sabbath. You're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus knows that the people there are waiting to accuse him. He knows that they're there. And this guy with this deformed hand is there and he calls him out to the front. He makes him stand in front of everyone. It's a pretty bold move. And uh, Jesus then asks those waiting to accuse him, what's better, to do good or evil on the Sabbath? To, To kill or to bring life? And they don't answer him. I think Jesus knows what's going to happen, but he heals this guy anyway. And then it says that the, the Herodians and the Pharisees, who, by the way, are enemies, really, they wouldn't work together normally, it says that they make a plot to kill Jesus. Jesus saw that hardness in their hearts. I think he probably knew this was coming, but they make this plot to kill him. Suddenly, people are literally plotting against him. And it's so relatable. I mean, no, I don't, as far as I know, no one's plotted to kill me. But when you just feel like things are plotting against you, when it seems like everything's going wrong, and the last 18 months, of course, all that we've had, it feels at times like things are just plotting against us. So my first point really is that Jesus identifies with that. And it's only a small point, but it's a really important one. We don't have a God who's distant and has never experienced some of the stuff that we experience. God knows. He identifies with that. Jesus experienced this plotting against him. He knows exactly how that feels. So whatever you face, and when life is really hard, firstly know that Jesus really identifies with you in it. But there's more. So, yes, Jesus does identify, but that's, Jesus isn't the kind of guy that just sits back and does nothing, which is really good news. So in the second part of the reading, we see Jesus going up a mountainside and then calling people to him. He calls 12 people to him. He kind of comes up with a plan, if you like. He comes up with this plan. Despite people plotting against him, he comes up with this plan. And it involves these 12 people. So he calls the 12 and he commissions them to go and preach the good news. To carry on his mission. Now, I don't know about you. If somebody's plotting to kill me, I'm probably going to try and deal with that, actually. I'm probably going to come up with a plan to maybe 
ring the police, get that dealt with, I don't know, just not be killed probably. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus is playing the long game. He sees more than just himself. And Jesus comes up with a plan to make sure that the mission is continued. He gives this commission to those 12 people to continue what he started. Not even a plot to kill him is going to stop Jesus' mission. So whatever it is that is going on in your life, you know, whether you feel completely powerless, whether all of this stuff is happening around you and you're powerless to do anything and you think, oh my goodness, what is this? Or if you think you've done something so bad that it's irredeemable, whatever it is, whether you think you've really messed up and Jesus couldn't possibly want anything to do with you now, well, let me tell you today that there is no plot twist so big that Jesus doesn't still have a plan. Whatever it is, whatever is happening in life, Jesus still has a plan for you. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus comes along with a quick fix. Unfortunately, I think we quite like that sometimes. But like I said, Jesus is into the long game. So it might not be the plan that you'd expect. might not be the plan you'd even want. But Jesus always has a plan. And it's good for us to trust Jesus, to trust that plan. And I think it's incredibly difficult, especially when everything around you can be so rubbish, but to trust that Jesus has a plan for you. And we trust that it's a good plan as well. A plan for each of us as individuals, a plan that involves all the details, the plan from the God who knows us so intimately. So trust that Jesus has a plan for you. And that was my second point, just to keep you up to date. And then the final point really is that sometimes actually in church, I think we get really hung up on this individual plan, what I've just said. We think, oh, what's Jesus' plan for me? What does he want me to do? And we forget about the bigger plan. Like Jesus has already set into motion this bigger plan of bringing in the kingdom of God, and that is still the plan. Like Jesus picked those 12 people, and they're a really random bunch. Like there's, there's some proper strange choices in there. Jesus picked fishermen, who, as I said, kind of two weeks ago, that's a pretty odd choice. These guys are going to be thought of as only good for fishing. He picked uh, people who had studied the Torah. Wise choice, maybe. But he picks people that really know the word of God. But then he also picks a, a tax collector. Matthew, he's a tax collector. He's, he's thought of as a traitor, basically, by the Jewish community. But he picks him as well. And he even picks Judas, who it says is going to betray him. Jesus picks this 12, these 12 people who are just feel really random. And like, why has he picked them? But those are who he picks to share the good news. And the thing is that you're all invited to be part of that plan. As random as the 12 we might be, but you are all invited to be part of that plan of Jesus. He wants to enroll you. Jesus' plan for you is to enroll you in his plan. 
He started by calling those 12 to carry on his mission. And his mission is actually the same today. But there's more than 12 of us. But he still calls all of us to carry on that mission. And his plan is all-inclusive. There is room for everybody. There's nobody that he excludes. If it was supposed to be a plan that excluded certain types of people, we'd have seen it in the Bible. But he calls so many different people. There's nobody that's excluded. It's an all-inclusive plan. And so when Jesus had people plotting against him, he came up with a plan that didn't just, well, it didn't deal with that, but he came up with a plan that didn't just last that lifetime, but that actually went through all time. That centuries later, here we are. Jesus' plan was far bigger than that small plan that the Pharisees came up with. It was huge. And we all get to be a part of that. And there are still those that plot today. Now, they don't plot to kill Jesus because they've missed the boat on that one. But there are still those that oppress others. There are still those that put down others. There are still those that perpetuate social injustice. There are still corrupt systems There's so much wrong. You only have to start a brief conversation with somebody else about politics and you'll find out that somewhere along the line, everybody can find a problem. And there is so much. And yet Jesus calls us to be part of this plan that speaks out against all of those things. That fights to raise up those who've been looked down on. To love those in society that have been labelled unlovable. And Jesus' plan for you isn't to distract you like a naughty kid in school. It's not to distract you while the rest of the class gets to play. Jesus' plan for you is to be part of this plan. It's to entirely involve you. He wants you as part of this plan. So it's pretty cool, actually. We get to be part of this counter plan that Jesus hatched. He wants to enroll you in that. So in summary, Jesus identifies with you. When everything is plotting against you, when everything is going wrong, Jesus identifies with you in that. Jesus also has a plan for you. No matter what's happened, no matter what's going on, he has a plan for you that is interested in all the details of your individual life. And Jesus also calls you to be part of the plan. The plan to bring in the kingdom of God here and now. The plan to share the love of Jesus with everybody everywhere. And that is quite a remarkable thing. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to hand over to Felucio, who's going to lead us uh, in a time of response. So Jesus, we thank you so much that you came. We thank you that you enroll us into your plan. We thank you that you love us, that you see us completely, and that there is space for us. Jesus, we thank you that you identify with us when we are struggling, when everything feels like it's going wrong. 
and that there is nothing that we can do that means you don't still have a plan for us. So we thank you today. In your name, amen.